we're going to be talking again, continue to talk about elders of the early church at the different locations, if it be the Antioch Church, if it be Rome, Ephesus, Smyrna. Uh, we got some of the names of the early church leaders, and this is lay- laying a foundation for some of the false teaching they had to uh, deal with. We know in, in Paul writing to Timothy, we see a lot in Ephesus that Timothy's dealing with false teaching in 60 A.D., 62, 64 A.D., and it, it continues throughout those early days uh, of the false teaching until the church councils start to form and start kind of uh, finalizing some details. Last week, we left off looking at the church leadership in Jerusalem, starting on page 4 with James, and then going on through uh, some of Jesus or James's cousins, including Simeon, all the way through. That's on page 5 of the notes. The notes are online also underneath the live feed. Uh, and that shows you on page 4 and 5, the elders that were in Jerusalem. No heresy that we were dealing with there. Of course, in 48 AD, the big issue in Jerusalem uh, was the law. How do you handle the law and, uh, and, and the doctrines of grace? Do you guys need d- notes? I do. I do have an extra set of notes laying right here. Yep, I was going to ask you. And, and then I've also handed out... I also handed out uh, the Pliny's letter that's going to be laying there. Yeah, so yeah, that's what I was looking before we started. I was looking at everything I've got laid out. I think, oh, okay, where am I going to begin? And now I can see the confusion. Everybody's like, where are we turning? Someone's got your Bible. Someone's got the notes from, it's like, some of you just starting to walk out. It's like, I can't keep up. Okay, so yeah, we were in the notes from last week. Um, and that I, I've, uh, on the notes online, I've got the very last four, five pages of this set of notes added on to the notes online, but there'll be a, second, a separate section that we've got. The first thing we want to look at is uh, the church in Antioch tonight. Antioch. Uh, and just, just for the sake of, instead of scribbling a map up there, we'll try to do this right here. There's Antioch, right? Here's the church of Antioch, and over here would be Ephesus, there's Asia, there's the different churches. This is Paul's first missionary journey when he leaves Antioch. And of course, there's a lot of activity in the book of Acts in Antioch. It's where the Christians were first called Christians, according to the scriptures. Uh, And that is uh, a reference to just, again, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to see uh, some of these references. The first person that followed Peter, if, if Peter is considered the the leader of the church of Antioch, and you see he's uh, per, uh, predominant there in uh, Antioch in the book of Acts, was a guy named Evodias, and he was in office, they say, from 53 to 66 A.D. during the days of the apostles. He would have known Paul, would have known Peter, would have known many of those that came out of uh, Antioch, including Barnabas. Uh, he is said to be one of the 72. Jesus had the 72 people that were following him. He had the 12 disciples, then the 72 that were chosen. They're not named. He's said to be one of them. Uh, he died in 66 AD, and we, different reports. Some say he died in Rome under Nero, uh, persecution. Some say he died of natural causes. He did have writings, so he did do some writing like the church did. They are the early church and their, their doctrine. Uh, we, we call it the apostolic doctrines, the, the things that they handed down, were written down. So they have early on, they were not just a, a group that met. They were not a, a ritual only. Uh, they had information. They were a, a, a literate writing type of group. And so their doctrines were written down. Uh, not everyone, again, the literate rate in the early church was low. You know, some say something like 15% of the people could read. But that doesn't mean they were just telling stories and legends. It means that those that could write, the scribes, some of the others, uh, as their education determined, would write things and send letters back and forth, as we see in the New Testament, but also these elders that are writing at this time. Uh, But what they would do is they would gather together and they would listen. They would be read. A lot of it was memorized. But the information was detailed, written down, and then it was being read to the groups of Christians. So reading and, and writing was important. And here, the reason I'm saying that is Evodias had, he was writing back then also. His writings have been lost. 
Uh, but one of the things that has come through church history is he supposedly wrote that Mary was 15 years old when she conceived or gave birth to Jesus. Again, that's not in the scriptures, but she was young. And he was writing uh, that information uh, before 60 AD. Uh, in the 500s, another guy wrote in the church history, he wrote that Eve Otis in Antioch was the man who referred to the Christians as Christians for the first time. Again, the Bible says it took place in Antioch. We don't know who it was. Following him, very important now, uh, is one named Ignatius. Ignatius is uh, one of the disciples of John. He is going to be the leader of the church of Antioch. He is uh, students with, peers with uh, Papias. We'll talk about him in a moment. And Polycarp, we'll talk about him also. Uh, these guys, Polycarp was the uh, pastor, bishop, leader of the church of Smyrna. He may have been the one when John writes to this, the seven churches, uh, he writes in, in Revelation, he writes to the messenger or the angel. Polycarp would have been the, the person that was receiving that letter in, in Smyrna. So Polycarp, Papias in Heropolis, and Ignatius were all contemporaries, possibly students together. Irenaeus is going to come out of this area here, uh, and we'll talk about him in, in, uh, in the future. But information about Ignatius, uh, he lived from 50 to 117 A.D. Uh, so this 117 A.D., that could be right. It could be 110 A.D. That will be determined. Uh, he's going to die a martyr. He's going to die in Rome, which apparently would indicate he is a Roman citizen because he'll have to be executed in Rome, tried, tried there, and, and he will be. But some information about uh, Ignatius. Uh, uh, you can look. I've got a little link there. You can find this on uh, the, uh, the Internet. It's a live link on the PDF on, on the notes online. But you can find all of his letters that he wrote. He wrote seven letters on his way to his execution. And his execution, <coughs> we're going to see here in just a moment. Let me see if I can do this. He is in Antioch. And this map's on your notes. They're going to sail across to Tarshish, where Paul's from. And then they're going to travel across Asia Minor. He's going to be arrested by, by the Romans. He's going to be traveling with a battalion of Roman soldiers, taking him back to Rome. His route is recorded. He goes through Laodicea. Uh, he's going to go through Philadelphia, Sardis, pass through Smyrna, where he's going to be in contact with Polycarp, sail over to Troas, sail across into Macedonia, where they land and come in at Philippi, pass through Thessalonica, going down the Via Ignatia, or Ignatian Road. The Rome, it's still there. You can still see parts of this Roman road. You can't see your interstate from 10 years ago, but you can still see Roman roads from 2,000 years ago and drive on them. Uh, figure that out. Uh, sail across the Aegean Sea, or uh, uh, the, the uh, Adriatic Sea, and then take the uh, Via Appia up to Rome, or the Appian Way, again, another Roman road that was well known. Uh, that's his journey to Rome. On his way there, um, uh, let's see, I, I got this here. Jerome, in, in his words, writing about Irenaeus, says, Irenaeus writes that John the Apostle survived all the way to the time of Trajan, after whom his notable disciples, Papias, Bishop of Heropolis, Polycarp of Smyrna, and Ignatius of Antioch. So Irenaeus is going to refer to those three, three men. Now, I think we should go on page 7. You can see that journey on there. And just so you can see this before I look at the letters, at the bottom of page 7, it talks about the journey going through Smyrna. He goes through, like I says, he reaches Smyrna in August with, and again, he's under arrest. He's being taken to be fed to the, the beasts, the animals in the Roman Colosseum, which is recorded in history by four sources uh, that that's what happened, that he was fed to the animals there in, in Rome uh, around uh, 110, 117, here it's 107, right around this time, escorted by Antioch by 10 Roman soldiers to be martyred in the Colosseum by animals. Uh, in Smyrna, he is visited by believers from the churches, Ephesus, Magnesia, and Trellis. They, they come to visit him. Uh, also in Smyrna, Ignatius wrote letters to these churches, the Ephesians. He writes a letter down to the Ephesian church, uh, Magnesia church, uh, also writes letters to the 
church of Trellis and sends a letter ahead to the church of Rome. And in that letter, he's going to ask them, do not try to rescue me. They may let me be eaten by the, let me die a martyr. I mean, he, this is, this is his attitude. Uh, in Troas, after he crosses over here, or from Smyrna goes up to Troas, from Troas, he writes uh, three more letters to Philadelphia, to the church of Smyrna, back to them, where he just came from, and writes a personal letter uh, to Polycarp. Now, if you click on that link, you can read those letters. Those seven letters are still in existence today, uh, which kind of, that's why we know this detail of, of what he's saying. And you can see within there that the, his attitude uh, it's a little more, he's a little more uh, excited about martyrdom than you pick up in the New Testament. It was an option. You may have to face persecution. There's a tendency right here growing at this point on into 200 AD where it's like, there's, sometimes there's a, 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 an excitement. It's like almost like pursued. It, it's, it's kind of interesting uh, and concerning at the same time. But go back to page six, and in these letters on point one and two, uh, what I want to point out here is he knew, Ignatius knew John and was trained by John. This is part of textual criticism that is very interesting and advantageous for us as far as we look at the authenticity of Scripture. The book of John, the Gospel of John, uh, and the letters, the epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, sometimes are uh, questioned as far as <coughs> when they were written. We've talked about it before. Go back to 200 AD or 1800s. The book of John, the Gospel of John, wasn't written until late in the second century. Uh, and so a lot of textual critics will not give John credit, the actual John the Apostle, for writing the book because it's so developed. Uh, the, the thoughts are so lofty. Uh, and it kind of wipes out a lot of seminary students. They get in, they don't, it's like, well, why are we even bothering with the Bible if it wasn't even written by who they say it was written with? And it's, it's, it's damnable. It's a heresy we deal with today is attacking the authenticity of Scripture. But I believe John wrote the book of John and First, uh, Second, Third John and Revelation, probably 85 to 90 A.D., uh, was when these things were written but now what's important right here because we've got ignatius letters now these are either also forgeries or they're authentic and in their authenticity they're quoting these books in 117 110 sometime in that and here just real quick without spending all night on this but on page six the letter of the Romans, chapter 7. Now, when I say Romans, chapter 7, right now, I'm talking about Ignatius' letter to the Romans, chapter 7. You can see that online. I, and again, you click on these, that link, and it's online. In fact, you type it, Ignatius' letter to Romans, and you're going to be able to find it online. But nonetheless, uh, he writes, I desire the bread of God, the heavenly bread, the bread of life, which is the flesh of Jesus Christ. I desire the drink of God, namely his blood, which is the incorruptible love and eternal life, which refers apparently to John 6, 47 through 48. I say to you, Jesus writes, or Jesus says and John writes, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. In Romans chapter 7, also Ignatius writes, there is within me a water that lives and speaks, saying to me, and really come to the Father. And that would be drawing from John 4 and John 7 where Jesus uh, talks about having being the living water and being the way to the Father. Uh, also John 7 when he talks about come and drink. Uh, to the Philadelphia church, chapter 9, he writes, He, Jesus, is the door of the Father. John 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. So again, there, you've got, if John's not writing it, uh, Ignatius is writing it already in in these time uh, philadelphia chapter 7 he writes the spirit as being from god is not deceived for it knows both whence it comes and whether it goes and he takes the secrets of the heart which is right out of what we'd say john 3 8 the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes so it is with everyone born of the spirit again it seems like a, a he's very familiar with john's writings or at least john's teachings uh, 
uh, he's arrested. Then next page, page 7, he's arrested under the reign of Trajan. Don't forget the name Trajan. We talked about that last week. After the uh, Flavian dynasty, Vespasian, uh, Titus, Domitian. There is a two-year interval after Domitian was ex- executed under Nerva. And then after Nerva comes, Domitian is going to reign from 98 A.D., uh, and to 117. So John would be on the Isle of Patmos in 96 when Trage, or Domitian dies, is released by Nerva, and continues uh, for a few years, or a few months at least, during Trajan's reign in 98 AD. It is during Trajan's reign that Ignatius is arrested. Uh, and there's that details of the map. Turn the page very quickly. Uh, there's two forms in these seven letters talking about heresies. There are two forms of heresies that, uh, and I'm going to read you the quote, just read you very quickly what he writes, uh, is, is, we'll just say, Judaistic is how I've got it written, Judaistic or, or the law, legalism, is one that he addresses, and the second is this right here, docetic, which mean, it comes from the Greek, it means appearance or fa- fa- phantom, meaning this is a, the idea that Jesus wasn't really real, that Jesus wasn't really flesh. But these are two of the heresies that on this journey, he's addressing to these churches that they're being drawn back into the law. Of course, that's been a problem since the beginning, uh, going back to 48 AD, and doceticism, uh, that's all, those are both going to be rejected by church councils, but they're already rejecting them here. Very quickly, uh, to the uh, Magnesian church, uh, in, in, he writes chapter 8 to the letter of Magnesia. He writes, for if we are living until now, according to Judaism, we confess that we have not received grace. So in other words, they were having a struggle. Should we go back? Because the Jews were still living they you know jerusalem had been destroyed but judaism was still in their synagogues in all these cities and so the jews were still there and some of the jews had become christians but they didn't want to leave judaism and so they were dragging we see it taking place in antioch i mean th- this ignatius is coming from the very place paul had to correct peter because judaizers came from jerusalem up and took the whole church of antioch all the gentiles into the law of moses and you get your letter of galatians to that issue and the issue that was spread up here. Now, uh, you know, 70 years later, Ignatius is still warning about that here. And he says very clearly, if you're living now under Judaism, you haven't received grace. You can't do both. You can't be living under Judaism, trusting the law, and have received grace, uh, and your trust is in Jesus Christ. To the Church of Philadelphia, at the same time on this, this, this journey to Rome, to his death, he writes, to Philadelphia, but if anyone preach the Jewish law unto you, listen not to him, for it is better to hearken to Christian doctrine from a man who has been circumcised than to Judaism from one uncircumcised. But if if either of such persons do not speak concerning Jesus Christ, they are in my judgment, but as monuments and spectacles of the dead, meaning they're like historical relics of a time past upon which are written only the names of men. Flee, therefore, the wicked devices and snares of the prince of this world. So he throws Judaistic or Jewish law or Christians following this as a trap of Satan. Don't, don't do this. Now, again, you say, well, that's, that's not a problem. Maybe not for you, but this is still an issue today. You, you'll run across or have run across people that want to bring Christianity back under the Jewish law. We're not forsaking Scripture. Scripture is what the New Testament is grounded in Scripture. But that is a old covenant. We've got a new covenant. And uh, we're not going to spend all night talking about that. But that was one of the issues. The other one, uh, docetic or doceticism, it's going to be an issue for several uh, centuries here. I've got written right here. G- the I, Doceticism teaches Jesus Christ was not true human now that that is a heresy there is no salvation in that message that is not christian you can say jesus we follow jesus we hear the teachings of jesus we love jesus oh but jesus was not a human well that jesus is not the jesus of salvation you can take all the church terms but if jesus is not a man a human man in human flesh 
he, he's not able to save. Likewise, he's got to be deity at the same time. But the, 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 the docetics, well, let me read all of this. Uh, Jesus Christ was not true human. He only appeared to be flesh. Against the concept that would be doceticism, Ignatius wrote to the tri- uh, trillions these things. Uh, I'll read that. But doceticism uh, is attacking the humanity of Jesus. But if you just go with Jesus is merely a good man, anointed by the Spirit, but he's not eternally God, that's also a fallacy. You're going to have to have Jesus as full man or full humanity. Humanity. And you're going and plus, or I shouldn't say plus, at the same time, he's going to have to be God. He's going to have to be eternal. He is the creator. He is the creator and the savior. This is makes Jesus Christ unique. If you take this out, you don't have Jesus of the Bible. You don't have Christianity. You have a heresy, a, a, a heresy that cannot save. If you say, well, Jesus was not a man. He was he was too pure to actually be human flesh. Well, now, he did not have a sin nature. That's where the virgin birth comes in. But he had to be human. You can't have a sacrifice on the cross for humanity if you're sacrificing a ghost, a, a, an image. It's like just a, 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 some kind of a pixel image. It's like it's not a real sacrifice. He's got to be fully human. And so, but again, stepping back and not being critical, People are try- we, we have the fortune of being on the flip side of history. We're 2,000 years away. They've gone through all these issues. They've gone through, we're going to see the, the consuls. We're going to read the creeds. You've got the Protestant Reformation. We're on the flip side. We've got our own issues. But for us, say, well, yeah, we understand this because we've been like spoon-fed this if you've been fed anything. Um, but for them, some of them are trying to process who is this and they're trying to explain it, and they're going to come up with crazy ideas. Imagine yourself without any background and a very limited level of of exposure to Scripture explaining the deity of Jesus Christ or who Jesus Christ was. Uh, I hate to think about what I was saying when I was 12, 14, 16. I was trying to write Christian music as a teenager, what kind of garbage I was writing, trying to express my feelings, and it's like totally irrelevant and totally heretical. imagine so again you can understand where they came from but fortunately there's the apostolic doctrine the 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 faith once for all entrusted to the saints and ignatius is addressing it right here on the way to rome he's writing to uh the trillions uh in in here i'm looking for there's magnesia oh there's trellis right there uh he's writing them and he says to to oh this is the trillions He says, stop your ears, therefore, when anyone speaks to you at variance with Jesus Christ, who was descended from David and was also of Mary, who was truly born and ate and drank. He was truly persecuted under Pontius Pilate. Now, truly ate and drank, that sounds a lot like the beginning of the opening of the book of the Gospel of John. That which we have touched, that which we have seen, we, 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 we've been with him. He, he's flesh. In fact, John, writing uh, 85, 90 AD, almost sounds like he's addressing this very issue. He says, that which we have seen, that we've touched with, we've touched this. The very word of life. He was a man. And Ignatius is picking it up right here. Uh, He was truly crucified, not just the image, and truly died. I mean, he was stone cold dead in a grave. His body is dead. Uh, Died in the sight of beings in heaven and on earth. It was, the the spiritual realm saw this also. Uh, And under the, oh, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. He was also truly raised from the dead, meaning truly raised, meaning he appeared to come back to life. No, he was truly physically resurrected. He was back alive, functioning alive in the same body. He was physically resurrected, which all of that is important because it explains what's going to happen to us, and it explains we're truly human, and because of this, as truly humans, we can have the life of God in us today and be called sons of God, not the Son of God, but we can have the same life in us today because 
we're humans. Jesus was human. He brought the life, gave it to us. He died and was physically resurrected. There's no, I mean, I'd, I'd want to make it an absolute. You had that column of absolutes. Then you got the middle column. Then you got on the third column, the, the non-essentials doctrine. There's always a right answer on all three of those columns. It's just sometimes we're not real sure and we got to be kind of patient. But this would have to be one in the absolute doctrine that we will, we are heading towards, we are facing, we are anticipating not just life in heaven in a land far away, but a physical resurrection. We will die, but we will be physically resurrected back. And that's what 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. That's what doceticism was struggling with. And so uh, even after uh, it says, uh, he was also truly raised from the dead, his father quickening him, even as after the same manner his father will so raise up us who believe in him by Christ Jesus, apart from whom we do not possess the true life. So there he's even saying the same thing. We too, and that's why he's not afraid of going to being fed to the animals. Uh, it's like, you, you can kill me, but God's going to raise, you can eat, have the animals eat me up. In fact, they're going to come by. Uh, the Christians, after he's dead, they'll collect the hard parts of his body, the bones, anything that was left, and they're going to take it back to Antioch and bury it outside the gate. Then I'll give you the date here in a moment. 1400s or something they they dug it up and brought it and put it in the basilica in rome and we'll look at that here in just a moment okay to the smyrna's concerning the doceticism the 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 heresy to smyrna he wrote he suffered truly even again when he's writing to smyrna that's the the pastor the bishop the leader is polycarp he's also going to write a personal letter to polycarp at the same time that we also have and that's the same polycarp the same church of smyrna that john addresses in the book of revelations to the angel or the messengers of the church of smyrna nonetheless he says he suffered truly even as also he truly raised up himself not as certain certain unbelievers maintain that he only seemed to suffer as they themselves only seem to be Christians. There's a little jab right there, like to get a little sassy. Uh, and as they believe, so shall it happen unto them, meaning it's just going to seem like you're resurrected because you're not going to be resurrected, you're not saved. When they shall be divested of their bodies and be mere evil spirits. For I know that after his resurrection also, he was still possessed of flesh, and I believe that he is now he is so now like the man we have one mediator between god and man paul writes timothy the man jesus christ in heaven is he didn't leave his body on earth he ascended in heaven with his physical body his resurrected body is in heaven it's it's the resurrected body and he says i i believe that's also the way it, he is now when for instance he came to those who were with Peter, he said to them, lay hold, handle me, and see that I am not an incorporeal spirit. I'm not a ghost, he says that. And immediately they touched him and believed, being convinced both by his flesh and spirit, for this cause also they despised death and were found its conquerors. And after his resurrection, he ate and drank with them as being possessed of flesh, although spiritually he was united to the Father. And so we got both. The, he's still e eternally God, spiritual, and he is also eternally man in a resurrected body. Thus, doceticism and uh, uh, Ignatius addressing that. Uh, on page 9.8 there in Rome, Ignatius was devoured by wild beasts in the Colosseum, according to Polycarp's writing, and one of his students, Irenaeus, and then Eusebius, a church historian around 300 A.D., and Jerome around 400 A.D., record the same thing. You would be assuming that Eusebius and Jerome get their information from church history, maybe even using the writings of Polycarp and Irenaeus. But Polycarp and Irenaeus would be that generation writing. Uh, believers collected the hard remains, took them back to Antioch, and then in the year, oh, 637, his bones were transferred to the Basilica of St. Clement in Rome. Clement's going to be one of the elders of Rome. And then after him, uh, someone became the leader. His name was Heron, H-E-R-O-N. Uh, I have nothing about him here. In Ephesus, another church, you got Timothy and John being there up until Timothy dies in 97 A.D. John dies in 98 A.D. So in that first century, Ephesus still has uh, an eyewitness of Jesus and his life there. In Hierapolis, let's leave this map right here. 
Heropolis, I don't have it on here. It's, it's by Laodicea in this area. Heropolis is right there. Um, Papias, this is, uh, you've got Polycarp, Papias, and Ignatius, John's three. Papias, and uh, this, just some information about Papias very quickly here. Uh, born 70 AD, worked in Heropolis in Phrygia. That's the territory, Phrygia is the land. Uh, he knew the apostle John. Papias was a companion. We know all this. Oh, he was taught by John. He was also taught by Aristian, the leader of Smyrna, one of the, the uh, elders there. And Philip's daughters were his instructors or that he had influence, at least in the sense that they were eyewitnesses of Jesus and, and the firsthand accounts. Uh, it says Papias was the vote and well-versed in Scripture. He wrote five books. They are called the Exposition of the oracles of the Lord. It's basically he collects quotes of what Jesus said and just puts these all together. Not trying to, can't, he can't write, he's not writing uh, history, he's not writing uh, letters, he's just gathering quotes of Jesus, uh, which you would hope uh, a lot of them are in the Gospels, but there are some things that he records. Again, you got to be, this is not scripture. We're not saying this is scripture. This is Papias writing. And he's going to be writing quotes of Jesus that, of course, he didn't hear Jesus say it. He heard John. Of course, John himself writes in, in, in his gospel, if I were to write everything Jesus did, the world couldn't contain the books. So you've got to imagine, at least be willing to consider, that when John is teaching, he's not just reading verses out of his gospel. Because he didn't write that until 85, 90 A.D. So he's got, you know, from... Uh, 30 AD to, to 90 he's got 60 years of teaching without having anything written down uh, that we have uh, so there's going to have to be a lot of potential quotes or illustrations activities the he only records seven main miracles that Jesus does that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ so there may be many things that John taught uh, that he didn't record but he one of his students Papias puts in this book now i'm just saying that that's i'm sure some of these quotes are accurate but i can't tell you they're scripture because the bible's closed the canon of scripture is closed so uh that we got at this point at this point you know around 100 a.d the bible is intact the scriptures are all there that's another issue because some people don't think it was ready until 300 400 a.d it's all there and they know it's all there but people are going to continue to write, even some people recording things that they heard the eyewitnesses say that's nowhere in the Gospels. It doesn't mean it's wrong, but it doesn't mean it's Scripture. It's, it, it, so here it is. Here are some things he wrote. Um, you got, again, I've got a link right there if you want to get a quick link to Papias' writings. Uh, he wrote uh, that the millennial reign uh, was uh, apostolic tradition, that Jesus was going to return and rule for a thousand years. That's, that, would, that is, Papias' writings seem to record there's going to be a thousand year reign with Jesus on the earth. But we'd call that premillennial return of Christ. Does that make, does that end the argument? Does that end the discussion? No, because he's not writing scripture. But that was his understanding. Now, of course, I agree with that. But that, you know, and you can use that as what the early church thought. He was martyred in Pergamum. About the same time Polycarp was, around 155 A.D. See, now Polycarp's going to live, and, and, and Papias is going to live, get this, until 155 A.D. I mean, that's, that's quite, he's going from the t life of John to 155 A.D. So, again, this keeps in mind that they know what John wrote. They know what Paul wrote. They met Paul. They heard Paul. They got Paul's letters. And now, at 155, someone's trying to write a false letter. They say, oh, well, Peter also wrote this. It's like, no, I've never seen that before. Or, or John wrote this. It's like, John never said that. And so you've got eyewitnesses of the apostles that are carrying their doctrine into the second generation. And if someone was, because some people would say, well, you know, a lot, of the, a lot of things were in question. It's like, no, a lot of things were not even questioned because it was absolutely christianity is not on shaky ground like well no one really knew well papias polycarp and ignatius really knew they really knew the apostles they really knew their writings and they really in 140 a.d papias could look at something and go like 
Well, that's crap. I don't even know where, I've never seen that where it came from. That's, no, that's not written by Paul. I mean, he could reject it. And they're having, and he's not the only one. We don't know of all of them. So there's, there's a tight circle gathering around what are the authentic letters of the church, especially since, I, like I said, they were a, a literary group. They, their doctrines were not handed down by dreams and visions and experiences and smelling candles and doing dope or something. Their doctrines were handed down by written documents that were established by the sayings of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus, based on and in line with the Old Testament scriptures and then confirmed by the apostolic doctrines that all came to them in written form. What do you want? You want the Old Testament? Here it is. You want the sayings of Jesus, the Gospels? Well, well, here they are. There's four of them. You want what the apostles wrote? Well, well, here's Paul's letters and here's Peter's letters. Well, we think we're going to have a dream or a vision, find out what God wants. Why? We, we got Old Testament. We got the Gospels. We've got the letters of the apostles that Jesus appointed. We don't need to hear your dream. We don't need to hear your vision. And we reject your book because we've never seen it before. Plus, you're saying Jesus was like a ghost or a phantom? It's like from the Garden of Eden, he, the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. So in the, in the book of Genesis, before we even get out of the garden, it says he's going to be a physical man, the, the d- son of a woman, and will crush Satan's head. And then you've got all the prophecies. Then you've got the Gospels. And then you've got the resurrection. Then you've got Paul writing. And then someone comes along and says, well, he was just a, a ghost, a, a spirit. It's like, it doesn't match anything. You're, you're wrong. And it's, it's not like, well, we should consider it. No, that's, that's, a, her- that's a choice, but it's the wrong choice. You can, you can be a heretic. It's your, it's your right. You can say, well, I think Jesus was just a, a spiritual manifestation. Okay, well, go believe that. But it's ro- the wrong choice, and there's no salvation in that message. So, anyway. Uh, it goes on, says, so Pius uh, was devout. He wrote five books. Uh, martyred in Pergamum about the same time. Okay, I said that. Uh, in the days of Irenaeus, the writings of Pius were in common circulation. So we haven't talked about Irenaeus, but Irenaeus is right around 150 time, 155. Irenaeus is going to go from Antioch, where he's going to have been trained by Ignatius, he knew Polycarp, knew Papias. He's going to be over on the other side, right up here in Gaul, right up in this area, leading one of the main churches up here on this side, Irenaeus. And he's going to do a lot of writing in 155. He's going to be writing back to some of these churches who are drifting off course, uh, but Irenaeus writes, the very next generation, uh, the writings that he had in his hands, the writings of Papias, were in common circulation and numbered five books. Uh, Irenaeus wrote concerning these writings, bottom of page nine, now testimony is born to these things in writing by Papias, an ancient man, who was a hearer of John and a friend of Polycarp. In the fourth of his books, for five books were composed by him. Fragments of the writings of Papias can be found here. Now, we don't have the actual, you know, we don't have like the the letters and the books he wrote, but we got people quoting from them throughout church history. So there's what we'd say fragments. Uh, I'm going to read this part just so you get a flavor for something he wrote. From the Expositions of the Oracles of the Lord, written by Papias, he says... I shall not be unwilling to put down along with my interpretations whatsoever instructions I received with care at any time from the elders. Now when he says, I received from the elders, he's talking about apostles. He's not talking about just anybody who claims to be a church leader. He's talking about John, Paul, Peter. And stored up with care in my memory, assuring you at the same time of their truth. For I did not, like the multitude, take pleasure in those who spoke much, but in those who taught the truth. In other words, I wasn't interested in, you know, fancy speeches and PowerPoints. I was interested in those who were teaching the truth. Nor in those who related strange commandments, but in those who rehearsed the commandments given by the Lord to faith. Now notice again, not the Ten Commandments as in the law, but given by the Lord commanding you to walk in faith. Now, renouncing the Ten Commandments, but he's not talking about the law of Moses. And proceeding from truth itself, if then anyone who had attended on the elders came, 
I asked minutely after their sayings. So someone who is like Timothy came from Paul or someone came from Peter, uh, John sent out teachers. If they came and they had heard one of the apostles, I set them down and talked them and was very minute, detail-oriented, trying to find out what did they say that he said. Um, I asked minutely after their sayings what Andrew or Peter says, or what was said by Philip, or by Thomas, or by James, or by John, or by Matthew, or by, this is Irenaeus' writings, what he heard Papias say. Uh, which things Aristian, you see there, Aristian, he was one that we mentioned here, uh, is not mentioned as the apostle, but was one that saw John and was at the church of, uh, do I have it here? Yeah. I don't have it there. All right. Um, uh, and the presbyter John. See, now right there you've got John, and then you've got the presbyter John. See, so there's someone else named John besides John the Apostle. And some people will say that the guy who wrote John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, or even Revelation, is not John the Apostle, but John this presbyter. Okay. Uh, that's not what the tradition is, but nonetheless... Uh, the disciples of the Lord say, for I imagine that what was to be got from books was not so profitable me as what came from the living and abiding voice. So those guys, if that Aristian or John the Presbyter, those would be people that had been with Jesus. You've got the 12, but there's also those 72. And then there's, you know, a multitude of others, including Philip and others. Okay. The book written by Papias, uh, Explanations of the Lord's Discourses, still existed in 1200 A.D. So we, we've lost it sometime between 12, sometime between the Crusades and our day, it, all the manuscripts just got destroyed or haven't been discovered yet. Um, in Smyrna, Polycarp was in Smyrna, uh, and he was a personal student of John. We've mentioned him several times. Also, when he writes to the Philippians, he writes several letters uh, Polycarp, I'd like to spend more time on Polycarp. We've got, I could spend the whole, there's a whole book about his martyrdom called the Martyrdom of Polycarp, right around 156 AD. Gives great detail of him having to go in and stand before, uh, uh, not in Rome, but in, in front of a Colosseum of people wanting to see him burnt alive. And there's a whole exchange, gives him a chance to recant, and he doesn't. But in, when he writes to the Philippians, he writes uh, uh, very very close to uh, what is said in John 4, 3, that every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world. So once again, you've got Polycarp writing and quoting the book of John and 1 John uh, long before. In Athens, you've got two guys there, Quadratus, who died in 129, and Aristides died in 134. In Rome, you've got... Uh, of course, everybody's going to go with, not everybody, but, you know, the traditional list is the first leader of the Church of Rome is Peter. And that's, that's nice. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. Except, you know, when you look at how the Church of Rome started, Paul doesn't write a letter, uh, say, I'm coming, I'm going to teach you the gospel. He writes the, in 57 A.D., Paul writes from Corinth the letter to the Romans, the letter you have in your Bible, 16 chapters of, it is basically the theology. It, it, he's not correcting them. There's, there's some little corrections and some you know, hints of things. But basically he is laying out from Alpha to the Omega his doctrine, taking them all the way through, hoping, trying to get them to accept him because he wants, he wants to come to Rome so he can strengthen them, but he says also that you may share your gifts with me and strengthen me, because I want to go from Rome, I want to go, he says right in the book, I want you to send me to Spain. So he's writing from Corinth, right here, to Rome in 57 AD, before he goes back to Jerusalem, and then he ends up in prison in Rome. He doesn't go there on his own, he goes there in a prison ship. But when he gets out of Rome in 62 AD, out of prison, he apparently goes to uh, 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 Spain. The point being there, Peter doesn't start the Church of Rome. The Church of Rome most likely starts from the day of Pentecost. Because the things that take place on the day of Pentecost, 
People were there from all around the world, you know, the, the Middle East there, and they went back with the message to their synagogues, and the church would have broke out as they began to share the message, and it would have started to split off. Some believed, and they started to continue as a Jewish synagogue, uh, but then Gentiles would join them. Some went back in the synagogue and rejected Jesus Christ, just like you see uh, throughout, uh, if it be in, in Ephesus, if it be in, in Thessalonica, Philadelphia, uh, Corinth, especially Corinth. Um, but, so that's what they've got, 63, 64, Peter. Uh, but the next one that is mentioned as being the leader of the Church of Rome, now this is, this is going to get interesting, I think. I hope you like this. I, I hope this isn't boring and you think, oh man, this is terrible. Uh, is a guy named Linus. And the thing is, these names, we're not just making these names up. Linus is with Paul during his final imprisonment in Rome. So when he's writing 2 Timothy, he's writing a letter to Timothy saying, bring me my coat, my parchments, my letters, bring them over to me in Rome uh, before winter. Uh, Linus, a man named Linus, is with him there in Rome. Do your best to come before winter. Eusebius sends greetings to you, as do Prudence and Linus, uh, and Claudia and all the brothers, 2 Timothy 4.21. Uh, Irenaeus writes against heresies. Again, this is Irenaeus over here in Gaul, you know, kind of north of Spain, around 155, 160 writing. After the holy apostles, Peter and Paul, had founded and set the church in order in Rome, they gave over the exercise of the Episcopal office to Linus. So Irenaeus, who would have known, uh, says Linus was leader. The same Linus is mentioned by St. Paul in his epistle to Timothy. The successor was Anacletus. So he says, after him comes Anacletus. Let me see if I spell this right. But that is, that is him writing, uh, Irenaeus writing around 155, explaining, looking back on what had already taken place historically. And he's right there. Uh, it's, in, it's his lifetime. Uh, uh, oh, I've got these things written down. There's some discrepancy here. Uh, because people put it in different orders. Irenaeus states the above. Eusebius, writing in 325, says Linus was the first leader of the church. Jerome, writing in 400 A.D., says Linus was the first after Peter. Tertullian, writing in 200 A.D., lists Clement I as the leader. Clement I as the leader. All right. Uh, Now, coming after... Linus, we don't know much about Linus. We know that he is going to receive some information uh, from other people writing him letters. Uh, tradition says that Anticletus divided the city of Rome into 25 parishes or districts for the church to operate, uh, also named Cletus. And so you can see right here they've got house churches. People are meeting in houses. There's no buildings yet. Uh, they're still meeting in homes, large homes. Uh, but at this time, he divides it into the city of Rome into 25 districts so that we can kind of, you know, instead of, you know, there's a, a house in every district for the people to meet. So there's, it's starting to get organized. Typical Roman fashion, things are getting organized. Uh, he may have worked alongside Linus in Rome. Anacletus was martyred likely during the Domitian. Remember, we talk about Domitian, Vespasian, Titus, Domitian. And Domitian wanted to be deified and, of course, Cletus was like, mm, not going to do that. Well, then he's going to die. He was replaced in 88. Now, listen, we're still in 88 AD. John is not going to die for another 10 years. So these guys are, we would say, their students, fellow workers, Linus and Clement, are fellow workers with Paul. Uh, so they, they knew this is, this is Clement I, not 188, but 88 AD. All right, here's what Clement says. Clement was a disciple of Paul and Peter. Clement may be the one mentioned as one of Paul's faithful co-workers in Philippi when he wrote his letter to the Philippians in 61 AD from Rome during his house arrest. He writes, I entreat, writing to the Philippians, I entreat Judea and I entreat uh, Synthike to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. And he says, true companion, He's probably talking to Clement. Clement, please help these women stop arguing or whatever their problem was. I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So he's asking potentially Clement here, who's 
probably traveling or he's there, uh, he worked side by side to somehow solve this problem between these women in the letter to the Philippians. Clement wrote the letter, I'll get this, Clement wrote a letter to the Corinthian church in 95 AD. We have this letter. In 95 AD, uh, there's going to be uh, problems in the Corinthian church. Not heretical, not, not doctrinal issues, but they're dividing. And, and Clement is going to write, it's called First Clement, the letter of First Clement. Uh, we have that, you can look it up. Uh, he does not seem to be addressing heresy or false teaching, but instead seems to uh, compliment them on holding faithfully to the word of God, but is also addressing some issues they've got. He says, uh, and we have put you in mind of these things the more gladly since we knew well that we were writing to men who are faithful and highly accounted and have diligently searched into the oracles of the teaching of God. First Clement 62.3. 62.3, yes. The letter of Clement is like twice as long as the book of Hebrews. Clement wrote the following in 95 AD. He, wrote, he writes in 95 AD, Clement writes, Paul, having come to the limit of the West, bore witness before the magistrates, or having suffered martyrdom under the rulers, departed from the world and went to the holy place, having furnished the most inspiring model of endurance. And so when he says, come to the furthest of the west, it would appear that he's talking about Spain, that he, went, he, had, he reached his goal to go to Spain. Clement writes that in 95 AD. Some interpret that, that Clement is writing, that his goal, having come to Corinth, his goal was to make it to Rome, to the west, the furthest to the west. And that's one way of looking at it, but it... Everything else seems to be pointing to the West. And then uh, it goes on and says, Clement wrote to Rome. Uh, okay, Paul's in town. Okay, that's all I've got there. And then you've got two more guys there going up to 115. Uh, Evar Aristus and Alexander were leaders of the church. And now, like I said last week, these are the early church apostolic successors that followed in the leadership positions in the church held to the doctrine they're soon going to become known as the bishops of rome which are going to morph into the popes and so when you look at your list of popes clement cletus linus peter are all popes but they didn't know that they didn't know they were popes okay so it's just that's kind of rome just doing what rome does it's getting things organized um We've got 152. I thought it would be a nice time right now very quickly to read the Apostles' Creed right here on page, not 12, but 13. And we're going to look at the Nicene Creed eventually. But just this is the Apostles' Creed, which we can spend more time researching this to kind of give me some historical background. It seems to be a, a very, very ancient creed, meaning it's not something that uh, I know we, I read as a kid in a Methodist church. We read it like every Sunday. I had it memorized. Um, just not because I'm smart, but because you just hear the same thing over and over again, just like you memorize a lot of things. Um, but uh, this is probably very authentic. It's very close to what the apostles taught and probably was developed early on. I can't tell you a date. I'm, I, I wish I had to have a date. But when it first surfaces, it goes back to uh, a very early day, time. And it's kind of like someone got together and kind of took those absolute doctrines and says these are the absolutes and try to you got to agree with this if you're going to be christian so here's what it says and you can we can break this down as we go throughout the study here but it is i believe in god the father almighty maker of heaven and earth each of those can be broken down but god the father creator and in jesus christ his only begotten son who's our lord who was, there? there's his deity, he, he's, that's the deity of Christ, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. Well, now if he's born from a woman, uh, that, that means he's a man. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, also talking about his, his uh, uh, atonement, but also, again, flesh, was crucified, dead and buried. So again, he was suffered crucified dead and was buried he's like yeah really dead he descended into hell now hell is a big word does that mean guiana the lake of fire he's like burning ah he's burning you could go there if you want to 
but he descended into the underworld. He says, I'll be, he didn't say, I'll be in Guiana, the lake of fire for three days and three nights. He says, I'll be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, which means the underworld. Now you got to go back and study what does that mean? That was where the dead went. They went into the underworld. Uh, the gates of Hades is the door into the underworld. There's, you get all kinds of stuff. We can talk about that. You've got Tartarus. You've got hell. You've got Hades. You've got Guiana. You've got paradise. You've got Abraham's side. Like Lazarus descended into the underworld, but it was called Abraham's side or paradise. Nonetheless, the idea is he went to the place of the dead, not that he went to eternal damnation, you say, well, he's got to suffer in hell for three days. Now, here, this becomes a doctrinal issue. Well, he's got to suffer in hell to pay eternal torment. It's like, you know, if you remember, when he died on the cross, what was the last thing he said? It is finished. Meaning, he suffered on the cross for the sins of the world. It is finished. Into your hands, I commit my spirit. I'm going to go to be with the dead. I will be back. And so his suffering, I think you're safe to say his suffering for the sins of the world occurred on the cross you don't need three days of him burning in hell to finish the work. Again, now, now we're starting to get, you know, I think that's, the, that's what this is saying. But anyway, he descended into hell. The third day he arose from the dead, arose from the land of the dead, Hades. Uh, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. He's we're not going there to be judged. He's coming here to judge. He's coming back. Well, he said it himself. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the, watch this, Holy Catholic Church. And as a child, of course, Catholic Church, we're in a Methodist church. Well, notice the C is not capitalized. It doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church, although that's what I thought it meant. A lot of people, I've talked to adults that thought that. Um, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Catholic is a word that means universal. I believe in the universal church, that the church of God is all-inclusive. Those who believe in Christ, no matter what culture, what time period, it's, you can't be in this church and me be in that church, and we've got different churches. You can have different denominations, and there's going to be the true church, and there's going to be imitation churches. But those who are in the true church no matter if you're Methodist, Catholic, Presbyterian, Baptist, non-denominational, again, not to make any judgment calls on any of those denominations, but it's like if you're in those churches uh, and you are a believer, you're in the universal church or the Catholic church. So I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body. Whose body? Jesus' body? Well, we've already said that. The resurrection of the body, meaning the believer's body, and life everlasting. Amen. And that sums up the Apostles' Creed. Uh, if you go quickly, I believe it's page 14 in your notes. Oh boy, I've got something great I want to get to tonight, and I'm not going to make it. Um, uh, here is some doctrines that were issues on page 14. These are some heresies. We'll, we'll go into some detail on some of these later. Uh, but there's in between 50 and 135 A.D., You've got Ebionism. Ebionism. Let's see if I can spell that. Ebionism is a heresy that comes up between 50 and 135 A.D. So it's going to be around the days of Paul, Peter, Timothy, John, Polycarp, Ignatius. Uh, the need for the Mosaic Law in salvation, a, it's a Christological heresy. In other words, this is basically the issue that we saw in 48 AD, is they need the law, and it's just called Ebionism. Uh, it did not agree with the Apostle Paul's position. Jesus is the man anointed by the Spirit who became the Messiah. Uh, Jesus was not God. See right here? Here you've got Jesus in, okay, I'm reading this. And I'm not saying it's correct. I'm reading their, their position. Their position is Jesus is the man anointed by the Spirit of God who became the Messiah. So you've got all this, this huge pool of men, of humanity over here. One man comes out. It could have been Peter. It could have been John. could have been John the Baptist. But one man named Jesus, God looks down and says, he's the one. He anoints him, sends his Holy Spirit, and now this man, who was just like Peter, like John, like you and me, 
He's now got the Holy Spirit, the Messianic anointing, and he now becomes the Messiah. Or that's Hebrew or English, but it's the Hebrew. This is Christos is Greek. We say Christ. Uh, That's the same word, the anointed one, the anointed one. He is the Christ, and he is the one that was promised. Okay, Um, Jesus, the man anointed by the... Now, he's not God. See this thing? He's not God. He's just a man. God chose him, like God chose Samuel, or God chose Moses, or God chose David. Chose Jesus, and gave him a special, gave him a special anointing. I mean, we got, this is like the most special of all special anointings of the Lord. This is the specialness of the the anointing. It's really a good one. Uh, That makes him really top-notch. He was not God. They were looking for the imminent millennium, and they used Matthew, and they used the book of Hebrews. Now what you're going to see the heretics begin doing is they're going to begin choosing books. We can use Matthew, and we can use the book of Hebrews, but we want nothing to do (coughs) with Paul's letters. We don't want anything to do with John. Those, we don't accept those books, because Paul's letters expose their heresy. John's letter uh, exposes their heresy. That which we have seen, which we have touched, the Word became flesh, the Word was God. It's like, oh yeah, we don't want that. So they don't want the book of John. So they use these two books. doesn't mean these books are heretical. It means they could bend the twist scriptures to fit. Uh, so that would be a, a heresy. Uh, not, with, this is going to be a huge one. Gnosticism, and this is a shame even to just drop this on you here gnosticism uh 50 to 300 a.d it began with pagan philosophy philosophical ideas and incorporated into christian doctrine of course if you're going to take christianity and move it into the greek world they've already got a worldview they've already got philosophies and again realize gnosticism is a moving target it's pretty simple to go with the ebionites or the, uh, you know, the, the legalists, because they want the law of Moses. You've got to do that to be fully saved. Okay. But Gnostics, they're, it's, it's like morphing into all kinds of things. But generally, to kind of get a start on it, they're going to have philosophic ideas incorporated from the Greek world into the Christian doctrine. Forms of this are beginning in Paul and John's day. Not the advanced forms, but it's definitely there already. Marcion, we'll talk about him. He was a great teacher, not a great teacher, but one of their leading teachers, 85 to 160, made the greatest advances of Gnosticism. There's others. Marcion was excommunicated in 144 by the church. In 144, they're saying, you're done. Uh, One of his predecessors, Celsius, was excommunicated by John at a bathhouse uh, in Ephesus during his lifetime. And a last thing that we'll mention here tonight, and I'm sorry, I've got something really fun for you to read right here if you look at the your i've handed this out we'll do it next week because it, it probably fits but i was just excited so i try to squeeze it in we've got a letter from and that's why i've got these maps up here uh the next map here we're done here we're done i'm just trying to finish this up i got to come back to that oh that's good uh oh wait wait i got to go back to here i got to go back to this one bithynia pontus Peter writes to them in 1 Peter. There's going to be a man there. His name is Pliny the Younger. I want to give you some details. You can read about it. You can read ahead. Uh, he's going to be the, 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 the proconsul up in this area, the governor of this area. And in, in, uh, in, in one, is it one, uh, yeah, 110, 110 A.D., uh, he's going to have some trouble with some Christians. And just wanting to do it. So he's going to write a letter back to Emperor Trajan and, and ask Trajan, what, what do I do with these guys? He's going to describe it. It's, it's classic because uh, Pliny the Younger is going to write 247 letters that we have. Hundreds of them. We got 247 of them. One of them is a letter back to Trajan. And we not just have his letter to Trajan, we have Trajan's response to what you do with these Christians. So in Pliny the Younger's description he describes what they're doing uh what's wrong what he does for them so he give a chance gives them three chances to renounce christ but then there's some people that are coming in and blaming people that they're christians and it's like i don't know if they're not they're just being reported like it's like you know and then trading says well we're not going to go there we're not that's not the spirit of the age we just have someone just accuse someone then we execute them so that's i wanted to get into that 
Montanism, uh, 170 to 280, and we got time to do this one later. It's an ancient Pentecostal group. It breaks out right here in Asia Minor, right here, right in this area. It breaks out right here, Pamphylia, Perga, right in this area. And they, this is a crucial, crucial heresy, because they are, they are one of the reasons, uh, it's very easy to say, we, we have put a stop to this scripture. Because they believe the Spirit moves through them. There's a couple ladies or prophets. There's a leader, Mont, uh, what's his name? Mont, yeah, Mont, Montanus. Uh, and he's their leader. And these two ladies are like, almost like the, the, the oracles of Delphi. You could go to the Greeks and they would go back into this cave and they'd be ladies sitting back there all doped up, probably from the fumes coming from the cave. And they were having ecstatic experience. They were seeing visions and stuff, probably because they're like stoned. And they and go back and they get visions and prophecies from them and come out and make announcements. It was a big deal for the Greeks. Well, they're kind of following that kind of an idea here, you know, in a rough sense, that these two women have divine revelations. And uh, Montanus is the, the leader, and they're saying all kinds of stuff. Uh, it's, uh, Montanus said that he was the word of God and claimed to have direct revelation with the Holy Spirit. They encouraged ecstatic prophesying. Uh, they believe sinning Christians could not be redeemed. So if you're sinning, you're done. They forbid remarriage, firm church discipline. Uh, but uh, and one of the things it doesn't say right here, but they were very, we say, uh, charismatic, Pentecostal, but they're very eschatological. In fact, they knew in their town of Phrygia, where is it at here? Uh, that that's where the, the kingdom of God was coming down right here. And, and they were ready for uh, the second coming. So they're, they're, they're end time, they're an end time Pentecostal group in, uh, in uh, around 170 AD. Okay, out of courtesy, I'm going to quit. I appreciate you being here. And please come back next week so I can read to you Pliny's letter and Trajan's response. All right. Thank you for being here. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that we would handle them diligently, that we would be respectful of the scriptures and be respectful of those who've gone before us and have struggled through these, these issues and ask that we may learn, that we may grow, that we would be uh, ever getting closer to you and closer to the truth. And we do thank you for the opportunity to meet in this country at this time in history and ask again for peaceful and quiet times in our own day that we may continue to grow and spread the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you very much.